chapter 6. I'll see you Friday morning at 7. Uh, Galatians chapter 6. We're going to learn today about don't quit. Everybody say don't quit. Amen. Sometimes we'll be discouraged. Sometimes we'll feel like quitting. To say that we won't feel that way is to deny reality. We are a church that believes in faith, so we are a word of faith church. We speak the word. We have faith. But we don't deny reality. Reality is you will be tempted, but you can overcome every temptation. The reality is you'll feel like quitting for a variety of reasons, but we don't quit. Uh, and, and this, as I'm going to be applying generally to your walk with the Lord as it pertains to your calling and what you do in church, can also be applied to every other area of your life, okay? So if there's an area of your life God is challenging you in, maybe it's to go for a certain job and you just keep getting rejected, rejected, and rejected. Don't quit. Get, you know, get back up. God can help you to do this. Maybe there's something going on in your marriage and you feel like quitting. Don't quit. Maybe you're a young person. You want to get into a certain college. Don't quit. But today I'm going to be speaking in general to how it applies to your calling in church, what you do for the Lord. Somebody say, don't quit. Amen. Don't quit. Don't give up. Look at uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and onward. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Does everybody get that? It's a simple lesson here. God always teaches us in ultimatums. Sometimes people don't like ultimatums. They're like, God, you know, just, just tell me the good stuff. I don't want to hear what happens if I don't do this. But that's not scriptural. And sadly, sometimes people, when they hear me as a preacher or as a pastor, give ultimatums, they go, well, that's not very nice. Are you trying to threaten me? Are you trying to manipulate? Are you trying to scare me? And sometimes what do I say? Yeah, I'm trying to scare the hell out of you. Yes, I am. Are you trying to break? Brainwash me? Yes, I think your brain needs to be washed. And Jesus will do just a fine job. And if they make fun of us and say, we've been brainwashed, who's washed their brain? Beyonce, you know, come on, Jay-Z, you know, Oprah, Ellen, all of these other people, politicians. So let, let's just be honest. When it comes down to your life, it's the flesh or the spirit. This is a common theme in Paul's writings in Galatians. If you go back up to chapter 5, he's already explained what the flesh looks like, what it does, what it desires. And so now here comes the ultimatum. If you sow according to the flesh, sow just means plant, like planting seeds as a farmer would do. If you do that, you're going to reap destruction. If you sow to the Spirit, you give your seed, your time, your love, your effort, your belief, your dedication to the things of the Spirit, you reap eternal life. This does not mean we earn eternal life. Paul has already been clear in previous passages that eternal life is a gift, but it's a gift that we have to keep on using. It's a gift that we have to participate in. It's like what I've said before, we're dancing with the divine. You know, at any point, you could say, I don't want to dance anymore, or I don't like this dance, Jesus. I'm to sit this one out. That's up to you. But if you participate with the Holy Spirit, He will lead you. He will guide you. He'll move those hips for you. Anybody need a little help with the hips every now and then? See, white guys, we just kind of do the fist pump like this. See, the Latinos, you know, you got the little, you got the little hip motion. We just, we just do this at concerts or jump up and down like that, you know? And so if you, if you need help in the dance with the divine, what does God do? He helps. He moves. He encourages us. And as well, sadly, Satan 
sin moves us in the flesh. Neither one of these can be forced by God or the devil. God cannot force you to sow seed into the spirit, and the devil will not force you to sin in the flesh. Both of those decisions, or either one of those decisions rather, come from your volition, from your human will. Do I, as a person who has free will, desire to sow my life into the things of the spirit, or do I want to sow them into the flesh? Now, once again, this does not mean that anytime we sin, we're no longer saved and we lose salvation, like my wife lose her phone, and we always have to do the find the phone app. Anybody have to do that? Does anybody have somebody special in their family like my wife? You have to do it for two or three times a day. Now, this is where you can be upset with me because my wife has to take care of six children, and of course, she's got a lot on her mind. But still, we don't lose salvation like my wife loses her phone. Watch how you live, you'll see a pattern. The pattern is a part of your decision-making, and in the pattern of the flesh, you will deny Christ. Not just a sin, not just a mistake, but a pattern to continually reject the Spirit, to continually walk away from the Spirit. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 says that, says, if we willfully continue in sin after having received the knowledge of the truth, so we're Christian at that point, there is therefore now no more sacrifice for sins. Hebrews 10, 26 for those taking notes. So it is the pattern of sin. It is the pattern that will lead to you being cut off. Jesus talked about that in John 15, that if you're not bearing fruit and allowing God to prune you, that then you will be cut off. So everybody get this. Everybody's facing the scissors. Everybody's facing a form of God's judgment. It's either as a Christian, the judgment comes with grace just to prune you, to make you better. He's making judgments, not with wrath, but for your benefit as a father to a child to discipline you. I think you'll look better like this. Let me trim out these attitudes. Let me trim out those behaviors. So you're going to get pruned. The Bible says everybody's tested with fire. It's just when you're getting pruned, it's for your benefit. The fire's for your cleansing. But if you keep rejecting the things of God, then the pruning turns into shearing and you get cut off, thrown into the fire of destruction. Somebody say, help us, Jesus. Amen. So stay in Christ. Stay abiding in Christ. Stay sowing in the Spirit. Now, that's why we got to get to verse 9 now. Let us not become weary in doing good. That's why that verse means something. It means something because you are the kind of person that wants to do good. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Somebody say, do not give up. Thank you. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give in. We're not going to give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So now we can understand the context of not giving up. We're not giving up because we're sowing in the Spirit. We're not giving up because it is our desire to do good to the people of God and all people in general. Is everybody with me? Amen. Let's go to the next passage now. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. I got to do some teaching before I do some preaching. These are not introductions, so I don't want to tease you with that. But this is multiple passages for me to build up an encouraging word that we do not quit, we do not give up. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we have Paul, the same author of Galatians, speaking again. The first letter is to the people of Galatia, that's a city. This one is to Corinth, another city. 
Now, this is an odd passage in the Scripture, and it's even been misunderstood by Roman Catholics to teach that priests and nuns should remain virgins. You will not find that anywhere here, but they twist this to try to prove that virginity belongs in the priesthood as well as the nunnery. First of all, neither one of those positions are even in the Bible. We're all priests according to the scriptures in 1 Peter as we come to the one and only high priest. There's no such mention of of nuns in the Bible. And then after that, though those positions are not even mentioned there, Paul is very clear this is not a word from the Lord. This is something he's going to give as his own personal judgment, his own decision. Now, it's odd. It may discourage some of you who want to get married, but I'm going to put it into context. But let us read it first entirely because otherwise I'll be here too long. So let's get it all out and then we'll describe what it's saying. Now about virgins, excuse me, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Do you understand this is not a command as we get ready to read all of this? He says, this is just my judgment as someone who has the Lord's mercy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. That would be like an engagement. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. And all the single men go, oh, that's not good, right? But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you from this. So let's pause and get the context now. Is it a command of the Lord, yes or no? No, it's Paul's personal judgment, just like I can give you my personal judgment here, but they are not commands of the Lord. Paul is pastoring that same way. Number two, is Paul giving his personal judgment just in good old times, or is there a crisis going on? It's in the time of a crisis, a present crisis. What is the present crisis? They're being persecuted. They're being murdered. They're being fed to lions. They're being killed. And therefore, Paul is now saying, hey, Listen, you get married and start having kids, it's going to be harder for you to serve Jesus watching your wife burn at the stake and your children to be thrown to the lions. This present crisis is now calling for what he says, a special judgment. Just stay single and get ready to die and meet Jesus. That's a scary time to live, isn't it? But that's the context there. And then lastly, does he say, if you decide to marry, you sin? No, he just simply says, you'll face more troubles. And sometimes people say, yeah, marriage is a lot of trouble, man. Let me tell you about it. No, no, that's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about. Some of the spouses laugh and some of them afraid to laugh. It's okay. That's not what he's talking about. The troubles that you'll have in this world are the ones that I mentioned. How many know watching your children die is worse than you dying? That's that's way worse. There's nothing worse than watching your children, the ones you love, die. You just be like, take me, let me die. That's what he's talking about, but let's continue on. Verse 29, because it's going to tie into what we're saying. Please uh, scroll from me, brother. Thank you. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. Now, Paul lived with the understanding that Jesus could come back at any time. So I want everybody to get this. We should live with that understanding too. 
Was he wrong? Yes, Jesus has not come back from his time being short. It's been 2,000 years. But was he wrong to think that Jesus' time was short? Absolutely not. The eminence or the quick coming of Jesus, that he can come at any moment, is actually a doctrinal position we are to adopt, that Jesus can come anytime time is short. In the heavenly sense, time is always short. A 1,000 years is like a day to our God, okay? And Paul said these are the last days, and we've been in them for a few days, a few thousand years. But listen, even from our mindset of, wow, it's been a long time, we still don't get it from an eternal mindset. We'll be with God a lot longer than we've been here. What is 80 years? What is 1,000 years? What is 2,000 years to an eternity with God? So however you want to look at Paul being wrong or Paul having the true sense of eminence or however you want to take a little bit of both of those positions, understand this. That every time the church has believed that Jesus is coming, they have done more for him than at any other time. So, for example, when Paul thought Jesus was coming back at any moment, they went out and did more work than they ever did before. It was when they got comfortable years later that they stopped doing all that work for Jesus. In the early 1900s, during the founding of the Pentecostal movement in Los Angeles, known as the Azusa Street Revival, when they saw the gifts of the Spirit coming back upon them, miracles starting to happen, tongues and all the gifts of the Spirit, they got so on fire, they went out to the nations and now have built, by God's grace, the largest, fastest-growing movement of all time uh, in Christianity. It is the fastest growing and the largest for the amount of time. Within only 100 years, now it's over 500 million. Yes, Catholics and the Orthodox outnumber us, but the largest for that amount of time, 100 years to go to a half a billion, that's pretty good. And they did that based on the mindset, this is probably the final generation. Because think about the early 1900s when they had this revival happen. Influenza was spreading, diseases. There was wars and rumors of wars, which became World War one, two, and the Korean War. There was persecution around the world. Were they wrong? No, those were all just the birth pains. Now, why do I say all of that? Because I am saying again, this guy up here, like the preachers of old, time is short. And people might think, well, pastor, you know, what if it's not short? Well, here's the deal. If we're wrong, we will have just did a lot of things for Jesus, believing that his coming was at any moment. So we are to adopt that mindset. So Paul goes, the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn, as if they did not. Those who are happy, as if they were not. Those who buy something, as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world are not to be engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. Can I hear an amen? Okay, now let me make the application here about the message, not quitting, and then we'll go to one more passage, okay? But I got to teach this because I want us to really dig some firm, uh, get, get some roots down deep and get some firm foundation. When Paul was telling us not to quit, he was telling us to sow into the Spirit. What is that going to look like in these times, in times that are in crisis? Are we in crisis right now in this country? Yes. Does it feel like the world is at crisis? Yes. Is the time short? Yeah, it's getting shorter and shorter every day, right? And is, is the world passing away? Yes. So here's how we're supposed to live. The Bible says, if you have a wife, you are to live as if you don't have one. What does that mean? That means you cannot use your spouse as an excuse to give up on God. 
See, this is where I got to get you to. Because some of you are going, hey, I'm not giving up on God. I'm just giving up on this thing that's costing me my comfort in my family. And God would never want me to put my family at a discomfort because God gave me my family to take care of. So if I get into a place in ministry or in the church where it's uncomfortable for my family, then I know that's the eject button for me to get out because God would never want my wife or my kids to be uncomfortable. And what Paul is saying is when times are short and you are living in crisis and you have a wife, you don't get to pull the I have a wife card. You don't get to do that. Sometimes in the Old Testament, they got to say, well, I just got engaged. I can't go to battle. That's true. But Paul is saying we don't get to do that now in the kingdom of God. You don't get to quit because you have a wife or a husband or children. Hey, I've got children now. You know, I got, Pastor, I used to go out and preach with you guys on the street. But, you know, it's gotten dangerous out there. And I've got a wife and kids. Come on, somebody. I'm not saying it's time to be reckless. I'm not saying that we abandon our wife and kids. No, that's what Buddha did, called them the great chains of bondage that kept him from nirvana. He had to deny and renounce them to find nirvana. Does that sound like a hero to you? Does he sound anything like Jesus? No, so let's not compare those two. One is of God, one is of the devil. No, when Jesus said, you have to leave and forsake your mother, father, brother, and sister, that was for the sense of what's in your heart and who you serve as your God. That does not mean we renounce all family relationships, live as monks somewhere on the top of a mountain. What it's telling us is we do provide for our family. The Bible says if you don't, you're worse than an infidel. We do raise up our children in the things of God, but we, get this, but we do not use them as a get-out-of-ministry card. So those who have wives, you better live like you don't have them if you got to go out and preach tonight. Well, my wife needs me home at this time and this time. Okay, did you and your wife bring that before the Lord and pray about your calling? Hello? And I'll be the first one to admit how hard that is. God told me it's time to start bringing Bethany out to preach. And I was like, are you sure, God? She's only 10. God said, yep, bring her out to preach. And I had in my mind, what if this happened? What if this happens? The worst case scenario. The first time she went out and preached, guess what happened? The worst case scenario. It wasn't just walking in the park like it was all the good times I'd been out. No, guy got in my face, threatened me, screamed at me, knocked down our microphone, made a scene, and then somebody had to come over to my daughter and say, are you okay with this? And I'm like, we got her. you know. But listen, God tested my heart. Now, I'm not talking about being irresponsible. I'm not talking about that. So don't, don't confuse what I'm saying or what Paul is saying is, well, let's just throw our wives into the lion's den then. Let's just throw our kids into the martyrdom. No. But what Paul is teaching us is in your mind and in your heart, you need to live as if Christ is number one because a wife doesn't get to make an excuse. What about the next one? Those who mourn as if you're not mourning. I'm just so sad. Everybody don't like me on my job. Everybody don't like me here. I see what they're writing about us on Facebook. God says, you better stop mourning. Now somebody else is happy, happy, happy. Look about what they're saying about us. This is revival. I'm ready to die for Jesus. God's like, I don't care if you're sad. I don't care if you're glad. This has nothing to do with your emotions. Some people mourning, oh, it hurts, it hurts. Other people rejoicing, it feels so good, it feels so good. God's like, listen, I don't care if it feels good or it hurts. Those who mourn is if you're not. Those who are happy is if you're not because we're going to be even keel. 
Good days, bad days, good days, bad days, good days. I'm going through this. Paul is saying you don't get permission on the day you're sad to step away and the day you're glad to come back in. So we're just waiting if you're sad or glad, sad or glad, sad or you coming today because you're, you're happy. No, I'm sad. I'm staying. No. Okay, let me know when you're glad. In times of crisis, we don't let emotions dictate where we go and how we do it. We don't let our family dictate what we do. We do it according to God's calling. What about the last thing? You bought something, don't act like it's yours to keep. 20 plus years, I never had a nice car. 20 plus years, I never had a boat. The one time I get a boat in a nice car just happens to be the time that everybody has their cameras on me and wants to talk about me having a boat in a nice car. Where, where, where were they when I lived on Lawndale and Potomac with a station wagon that my parents gave to us as an engagement gift or as a wedding gift? Where, where were they when I was bumming rides? Come on, somebody. Where were they when I was eating out of the food bank? But how, what does the Bible say to me? You, you got a house. You got a boat. You got a Jeep. Joe, you better preach like you don't got one. Because if you're thinking to yourself, well, I got this now. I don't want to lose too many members. How am I going to pay for all this stuff? God says, you better, you better get out there and preach like you're ready to lose it all. Seriously, Gene and Tisa are friends from the mission field. They said, Joe, I know you got serious when you said I'm willing to lose it all. Because they've seen me start with nothing, build all the way up to something with a house and a nice car and a boat for friends to hang out on. And then when I said on one live feed, listen, I'll burn this whole thing down to start again with Jesus. The missionaries, my personal friends, said they got a word from the Lord on that. And they said, let's start praying for Joe because Joe is in the right place. Because Joe is saying he's willing to leave it all. They've left it all three different times. Mozambique left their entire house, everything. In South Africa, when they came to America, they left everything. And then when they lived in Florida, they've left everything. My missionary friends have left everything and only traveled with the suitcase three different times in their life. Amen for the missionaries. Amen for them. What if you're next? What if you're next? Well, I got this job. I got this thing. I've got this thing I just bought. This house. God says, you better act like it's not yours to keep. You're just borrowing it. And I pray you get to borrow it for a while. How many pray I get to borrow that boat for a while? Amen. Amen. But if I have to give it back, I'm giving it back. If you have to give back your car, if you have to give back your job, are you going to give it back? Or are you going to hold on and go, I bought something. After all, I have house payments now, Pastor. You couldn't possibly ask me to want to risk my job for Jesus. And the last thing he says, those who use the things of the world is if you're not engrossed in them. So it's okay to use the things of the world. How many of you use worldly things? But you're not to be engrossed in them. Somebody say, don't give up. That was the teaching. Now you ready for the preaching? Come on, go to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 15. See, each one of us, has got to be willing to lay down the things that could be distractions in our lives to not give up so that we keep sowing in the Spirit. So if we have a job, it's because the Holy Spirit gave us that job and has a purpose for us there. If we have a house, a nice car, or a motorcycle, or whatever other little hobbies we have, the Bible says that you're giving that to God. You're giving that to the Lord. You're sowing it as seed. Lord, I sow that motorcycle into your kingdom. Lord, I sow my job into your kingdom. God, I sow my house into your kingdom. God, I I give my clothes to you. Everything I have, I give to you so I don't give up. God, I don't want to be distracted by the flesh. Can I get an amen? 
Now, here is the story where I want to make an application to encourage us today. During the time of Nehemiah, the Israelites are coming back out of captivity, and they're going to start rebuilding their wall to give them security from their enemies. The king has given them permission to do this, but they've got some haters. Somebody say haters. People that don't want to see them succeed. Look at verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. So they heard that they had enemies that didn't want them to build this wall. And what did they do? They got back to work. You cannot let your enemies, your frenemies, your haters, and everybody in between get you to stop your work for the Lord. Can I encourage somebody here today? Do not stop the work of the Lord. Even if you know about what people have against you, even if you know that they're going to try to come and discourage you, do not stop your work that the Lord has given you to do. You must work even in the midst of your trials and tests, even in the midst of your enemies. And we all know that we have the enemy, the devil, and his demons. Let's keep going. Verse 16. From that day on, Half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. So half of them are going to start literally being the workmen of the wall, putting it together, the craftsmen, and the others are going to be the soldiers. Somebody say, put in work. See, it didn't matter if you were building the wall or if you were going to be in the army. You had to put in work. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried the materials did the work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Oh, come on, somebody. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet was with me. So just get this in your mind. There's half the people that have nothing but swords, and then there's another half divided up among the ones who have a sword and a plow or a sword and some other type of thing they're working with or those that just have the sword on their side and they're working with their hands. Keep going, verse 19. Then I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, The work is extensive. Somebody say the work is extensive. Come on, and spread out. We are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So think about it like this. On one side, you had half of them all in the army. On the other half, you had them divided up half and half, one doing work with a sword and a plow, and the other one just doing work with the sword on their side. Does everybody get that? 50%, 25%, 25%. But it didn't matter who you were. When you heard the sound of the trumpet, you come running, and you depend on God to fight the battle. Verse 21, so we continued the work. Somebody say they continued the work. Amen. With half the men holding those spears from light till dawn to the stars came out. So they worked from morning till night. That's hard work. At that time, I also said the people have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve as guards by night and as workers by day. They're pulling double shifts. Neither I nor my brothers nor men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. Each had their weapon. Now look at the division of the three one more time. Half of them had a sword in their hand only. 25% of them had a sword in one hand and work in the other hand. And then the other 25% had swords on their sides as they were working with their hands. But everybody had a sword on. Everybody was working. Everybody was ready for the battle. Don't give up. 
Don't give up. To this day, Israelites still live in this constant fear of battle. If you want to be an Israelite today in the nation of Israel, you have to be ready for sirens to go off. As a matter of fact, every able-bodied man or woman has to join the military. Why? Because that's the price of being an Israelite in their promised land. And we think today in the church, whether we look to their past or their present, that we're going to get out of this without being in a battle? Well, pastor, I just want to be in a place where I don't even have to have a sword. Get that away from me. Church, to me, is still the love boat. It's a cruise ship, pastor. It makes me feel uncomfortable with all this talk of swords. I've got to go out there to the deck and play, play my games. No, my friends, we are in a battleship. But here's the thing, and this is what I love about the Scriptures, and we went over it in Corinthians because I wanted to show you the application in the New Testament, but I want to allegorize it here out of the Old Testament, and that is we're all going to be at different places with our sword. And so we ought to be gracious to one another, but always encouraging to stay in the battle. So there may be some of you who say, I am called at this season to hold the sword, and that's it. I'm ride or die right now, front lines every time the church is open, every time there's an outreach, anytime something's going on Facebook, I'm jumping head in. Here I am, world. I'm a lion of Zion. Watch me roar. And then there's others. There's others who say, man, I'm with you. I'm about that, but I can't do that seven days a week. I can do it maybe a couple days a week because on the other days of the week, I have to go over here and work and have a job. And then then there's others saying, listen, I am with all of you, and I will come out when the the sound of the battle is there, but I've got to focus 50, 60, 70 hours on what I'm doing in my family and my job because if I don't do that, then all of this is going to fall apart, and then the church won't have stable families and stable community. But once again... Even those with the sword on the side can't say that I'm not supposed to be ready for the battle and carry my sword. You see, we as a church have always given you the permission to determine how much you're in to what we're doing. But we've always asked you if you're here, be in. Not that you want to be out. Because that would be the equivalent literally of them back then going, there's enemies I've got to carry a sword, be ready for battle. No, I'm going to go back and join Assyria. That sounds better for me. Or like in the present times, you mean if I want to live in Israel, you mean if I want to live in Jerusalem, I've got to be ready for sirens? My children who grow up here have to be in the military? No, I'm just going to go live in Switzerland. Or some people in the church, well, you know, this church is going to ask me to preach and teach and open up my home for Bible studies, and we're going to have to be public in our faith even when we're being ridiculed. No, I'll just go to the church down the road that doesn't have a sword or battle or anything going on. They're just talking about five ways to have a great relationship today. Seriously, come on, let's be real. I'm not saying we're the only ones, but let's stop pretending that people aren't leaving just because they don't want a sword on anymore. You can say, well, I still got my sword. Well, who sounds the battle cry for you then? Because your church ain't sounding the battle cry. hasn't been on the battlefield yet. Did I miss something? Because I haven't seen them have to deal with the mayor. I haven't had to see them deal with the governor yet. I haven't had them defend the police officers yet. I haven't had to see them defend the Christian worldview against all that's going on. I haven't seen them take a hit for nothing. 
They're just there serving the community. Well, you can only serve the community for so long. At some point, you've got to battle the spiritual battle that's afflicting your community. At some point, you've got to say, right here is where I draw the line for my community. And I, if i got to appear as their enemy, I will because I'm a real friend and I'm going to fight the devil and the arguments and the worldview that they're dealing with. Because today it's a mass. Tomorrow it's the mark of the beast. Today it's the police they hate. Tomorrow it's you they hate. What we have to do as Christians is go, I'm not going to quit. And we need to look the world right in the eyes and tell them that I'm not going to quit. I got a sword on me called the Word of God for a reason. And I may not be like Pastor Joe or the other pastors. I may not be called to this full time. But you better believe I either got it in my hand or I got it on my side. I'm ready for you. Comes up on a break. I'm going to bring out the Word of God on LGBTQ. Are you sleeping in adultery, having an affair, looking at? I got you right now. You think there's another God? There's another way to heaven? I got you right here. Because I got a sword for a reason that divides the spirit and the soul like bone from marrow. We've got a sword that will destroy the works of the enemy. We've got a sword that will bring victory to those who have been afflicted. God is asking us not to give up and to have a sword. And it's up to you or I if we're going to be obedient to that. Because you can't drag anybody into any of these positions. And I'm not here to judge your position. I know for me, God has told me to have his hand on the sword, and that's it. That's all I've been doing for the last 20 years. Even when I drive Uber for a little bit and tried to do number two, I was still preaching at him, getting a one-star review because I started a fight, a little argument with him. But I get it. Some of you have got to work things out. Some of you have got to focus in different ways. But you can't make that excuse, well, pastor, you know, i got to work with both my hands. You better still carry that sword. Well, pastor, you know, I still got to come and do my job. I still got a wife and kids. Yeah, but that's not an excuse to give up or quit. We should work together and have a sword on. Vinny, would you come, please? Let's stand to our feet and close out in prayer. I want to give us some time to pray this scripture over our lives today in worship. Because if we're going to be honest, we know that at this time, it's one thing to agree with the preacher on Sunday. It's another thing to live it out on Monday. Can I get an amen? And so I want to encourage you today, don't lay down your sword. Don't quit in the battle. God's got your back. And he's got you in a place right where he wants you. And there may be some of you, seriously, you're like, man, I want to go all into the ministry, but God has me here with a sword in one hand and my job in the other. Be faithful there. Be faithful. God knows when to move you from one place to the other. My dad used to work with both his hands, sword on the side. He was a financial advisor, you know, for many, many years. And then at retirement, he didn't retire. He refired. God put that sword in his hand and said, you don't got to worry about finances no more. You don't got to worry about customers no more. Preach. And he's been preaching in his retirement village. He's been preaching at skater parks. He's been preaching all over Florida. Can, can I get an amen? So I don't know where you're going to be on your journey, how you're coming in and out, but the deal is here, you carry the sword and you're in the place where you can hear the sound of battle. Because I'm tired of hearing people tell me, well, I'm carrying my sword, I'm just not with you guys, and I said it before. Well, why aren't the guys you're with ever sounding the battle cry then? I mean, I can understand, we, we as a church might be called a little bit differently than your church, I get it, but they never get called to do anything. You don't think God has sounded that trumpet for them a few times? 
They don't preach at the high schools. They don't preach downtown. They don't preach in the inner city. They don't preach in their city. They don't preach in their neighborhood. They don't preach at Belmont and Clark neighborhood. But yet I go there and I'm ready for battle. Who are you fooling? At some point, you've got to look down and realize that your sword is plastic. Hello. At some point, you've got to realize you really don't want the battle. Well, when whenever Willow Creek sounds the alarm, there I am. Beep, 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 beep. Willow Creek, I love the people who go there, but it's in my community where I live. They haven't sounded the alarm in over 20 years. What are you waiting for? you got a church the size of a mall, and you haven't even opened up yet. What in the world? We've got churches in this city with thousands of seats, and they're still online. We're waiting for the NBA to open up. We're waiting for the, the, you know, the other stuff to open up. No, I'm opening up now because Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. We're going to open up right now, and we're going to trust God to make a way where there seems to be no way. And if y'all don't want to open up, you're going to stay online. Stay online. Give us your building. Just stay online then. Give us your building because we're going to work right now. I don't want to be jealous, but I just want to be honest with you. Let's just call it is what it is. Lord, we pray for Willow Creek. Set them on fire. Nothing would make me happier than seeing that church get on fire. We have Jared preaching at the church in the community today. New Covenant Fellowship. Be with Jared. We're working with the church in that community, and that's why it's on my heart. Look at what Jesus said to the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength. Come on, let's get Desi up here. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. Have you ever been there before? I've been 19 years old on a three-day fast, almost passing out in the middle of New Orleans, putting up a tent so me and my brother could preach there. But even when I got tired, the Lord said, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Have you ever been young and strong before? God says you can be old and strong in Him because even youths get tired without Him. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not faint. They will not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Desi, will you pick any of this and start singing it over the people today as the band and altar workers come? I want to end just praying this out today. Would you raise up your hands if you need strength from the Lord? Come on, if you've ever given up or felt like you've given up, just repent right now and say, Lord, forgive me for giving up. If you've been tempted to give up, just repent right now. Ask the Lord for strength. Say, Lord, change my thinking. Change my mind on this, Jesus. Let Des just prophetically, prophetically sing this over us. We'll close in just a moment. But some of you need to meditate on this. Thank you, Jesus. If you need prayer, even come forward as the altar workers are here. I've given us a little bit extra time before dismissal. So you don't leave out here discouraged. You don't leave weak. Thank you, Jesus. Give me strength, God. Give me your strength in this time, oh God. Help me to lay down my family, my blessings, oh God. I lay it all down for you, Jesus. Nothing will prevent me, God, from going all in, Jesus. But the 
Come on up. We're going to close out in just a moment. But anything maybe that, that I didn't even mention, but you need prayer for, come on up. And we're going to close out with that revival song because I'm believing for revival in this nation. I'm believing that God's going to raise up mighty warriors. Hallelujah. I'm believing that whatever we do, we're going to do it with the sword of the Lord. Wherever God places us, he's going to use us mighty for the battle. And when we hear the sound of the trumpet, we're going to respond, yes, Lord, because the Lord fights our battles. It's not over yet for America. I pray for the government right now to see an upheaval of all corruption and all schemes against our nation. In the name of Jesus, I pray right now for our local governors to bow their knee before Jesus and think through things as a Christian with a biblical worldview. We pray for all of our businesses to have their foundation in God. We pray for all churches to become on fire, to be filled with the power of God, starting with us. Amen. I hear a sound.